to White Truck! Yeah, let's get ready to truck it. I'm Dooner here with Michael Vincent the Jude. Hey, what's going on, my brother? Another beautiful day. Two beautiful days here in a row in the heart of Freight Alley, Chattanooga, man. Still got up to almost 60 degrees and sunny again today. I know. I'm gorgeous. I'm almost bummed we had to go live because we were having like a rousing discussion of who would win between King Kong and Godzilla because that trailer just dropped. Yes. The other day, your team, you are team King Kong. I'm team Godzilla. I don't see how King Kong could overcome the size. That's that's all I see. I'm, I'm telling you, it, it's it, the, the speed, the agility, the the the, the teeth. The, he, yeah, I, King Kong every day of the week. I'm, I'm calling it in probably three rounds. <laughs> well, you know what's getting knocked out right now? You know what's getting knocked out right now? Short sellers of GameStop stock. I don't know if you read the What the Truck newsletter yesterday. I tried to break it down as best as I could. It's kind of a complicated story if you're not that familiar with stocks, but basically there's a forum on Reddit called Wall Street Bets. They're targeting um, various stocks that have a ton of people who are betting against the company, right? They're in a short position. GameStop had more shorts than anybody, and they're getting killed right now. It was like three. I'm going to look it up on Robinhood right now. It was 310 the last time I looked. This stock was four bucks like three months ago. Yeah, yeah. So $1,700 up or something like that since they tried to short this thing. Look at this. Which is awesome. Where's it at now? Look at that. 312.61. That is 111% just today. 696% this week. And this month, 1,366%. Man, it's crazy. It's absolutely unbelievable. It's like you ever see uh, other people's money, Danny DeVito? Uh, uh, that's what that's what he used to do. Just sit around, look for somebody shorting a company, and then he start buying everything up and put them, just run them right out of business. So how do you feel? CNBC is like clutching their pearls over this. Like, I can't believe this madness, this market manipulation. And I sit there looking at it like this. Why can't retail investors do this kind of move, right? I mean, it, they're targeting people who are betting against companies. They're betting against companies working. Like, who's the winner here? It's almost ironic. It's being done via an app called Robinhood. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> who's the? Yeah, it is ironic that it's Robinhood, right? <laughs> I, I, you know, I, it's it's. Um, I, I don't know what they're upset about. Would they be okay with them just uh, having people short shorting the company and then publishing uh, stuff about them to try and make the drop the stock drop? It's, Even though they say, hey, we're shorting this and we're going to badmouth them and try and make money off of it. Is that OK? As long as you announce you're trying to be a thief. You're it's, okay? one, it's one of those what works for uh, what works for ye doesn't work for the or, or, or one of those kind of things. Um, Matt Henning, too, he's mentioning AMC theaters was trading at five dollars and opened at twenty dollars today. Yeah, If you open a Robinhood account, you usually get a junk stock like uh, like Fitbit or AMC. And usually you pump those <laughs> things immediately. But if you've been hanging on to your AMC, which uh, full disclosure, I bought a little AMC this morning myself and I'm already up like 20 percent on it. Michael Vincent. So sometimes it's not uh, too late. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. They're, they're late. You're late, but you're still making money. Yeah. AMC. Why not? Right. I mean, airlines jumped when we started. We got the vaccine. Cruise ship stock jumped for a little bit there. Right. Are they still up now? Cruise ship. I don't know. I wouldn't I be investing. I wouldn't be investing in cruise ships. But, you know, the one thing I like, uh, you know, GameStop, obviously, anomaly. It's, a, it's kind of a joke stock. It's funny. I mean, this is a company that these same people on Reddit used to call up and ask if they had Battletoads in stock. And but now they're on to uh, AMC. I mean, I like movie theaters. So, you know, maybe we can carry movie theaters through the pandemic just on these fake stock numbers. We'll have to see what happens. It's, it's just it's a wild time. man. but you know what? The one thing is Bitcoin is a little bit of a loser here. Their momentum is completely cooled off on Bitcoin. It sounds like 29,000 when it was at 40,000 about a week ago as uh, these meme stocks just start going viral, right? Like just as it gets all this mainstream attention, more and more people outside of Wall Street bets come in and they want uh, they want a lottery ticket, too. 
Yeah, they absolutely they absolutely do. Maybe I'll buy myself some Bitcoin now. That's down twenty nine thousand. Yeah, yeah, I don't. I think it'll go back up. But um, in the meantime, let's tip the band. Thank you to our sponsor, Zembles. You want to crush your numbers, so stop random prospecting. Zembles can tell you who is spending on shipping and get you those leads instantly, taking your sales process from a 95% failure rate to a 50% success rate. Go to start.zembles.com slash free trial and sign up for a demo today. All right, spot market slips, spot market slips. We'll get deeper into this in the DHL Supply Chain Pricing Power Index on Friday, but this is kind of notable because it sank again this week. The national dry van average, according to truckstop.com, fell to 271. That's another drop, right? 14 cents from last week as it kind of continues this week-over-week decline. Although roughly one in five contract loads still being rejected, a lot of freight is moving into that contract market right now. What do you see in the market? Yeah, so it's moving very seasonally. I mean, it's at a much higher level, but it's moving pretty much according to season. And there's been a little bit of an uptick on volume uh, and a little bit of an uptick there on on uh, outbound tender rejections over the last day. And and volumes are starting to pick up a little bit in, in some uh, key markets like uh, Inland Empire, LA, or uh, Allentown and uh, Harrisburg on the East Coast, the, the usual suspects, those very large ones. So, um it's acting very, very seasonally. It's very, very high. And I think there's some, uh, you know, there's obviously uh, a heavy pressure on redu- or, um, restocking inventories, which is bringing some stuff in. Mm. Um, and then we'll see how it moves forward with the, invent- with the uh, you know, infrastructure bills and Biden's plan, the Biden administration trying to jumpstart things. We'll see how it reacts with the, with the vaccine, but it's certainly not going to keep going. There's a natural bottom somewhere, Dooner, with the amount of volume of loads and available capacity and drivers. Yeah. Uh, O-Tri can't, or the rejections can't drop to nothing, right? Mr. Perfect, Matt Henning said, DC Inside Trades Daily, hedge fund steal from regular folks' uh, money with media propaganda fueling fear. He is on Team uh, WSB, Team Wall Street Bets, Team uh, Go Meme Stocks. So, uh, you just mentioned Biden. UPS says feds must help with this uh, with funding this electric last mile delivery. Biden, he spoke the other day. He said the U.S. government is going to turn their whole fleet electric. They have six hundred and forty five thousand uh, trucks to deal with there. And uh, John Gallagher is reporting that last mile delivery and, le- and electric vehicles will um, they're going to take some assistance to get this fuel going. And they also think that they deserve it to create a public network. Speak on a panel hosted by the U.S. Chamber of Commerce on Tuesday. Thomas Jensen, the company's senior government relations executive, pointed out that, well, electrification has been touted extensively by the Biden administration. There have been few details on how the administration plans to pay for it. Yeah, right. And Jensen noted as an example, certain UPS facilities uh, or properties that allow non-UPS vehicles to use our natural gas facilities for fueling. Right. And he goes on to say the reason we did not uh, that we did that was because we received incentives from the state and local government to put that fueling infrastructure on our property and to make it available to others. So clearly to prime the pump. We need the federal help, but also public help on the state and local uh, level as well. Uh, I'm not sure about that argument. We can talk about that later if you like. <laughs> well, Jensen said the, you know, and you may not know this or you guys out there, but here's a fact for you. Jensen said that the U- UPS already operates the largest private alternative fuel vehicle free in the country. They have more than 12,400 vehicles, but obviously, you know, with Biden, just for the federal government alone, looking at 645 some odd thousand, um, not to mention all the commercial vehicles that will need this and passenger and all that kind of stuff. Uh, 
Um, they're going to need a lot more than 12,000 for that. But a standing order of 150 heavy-duty Tesla tractor trails are expected to be delivered to them next year. Those vehicles will work within the uh, long-haul portion of UPS delivery. Both Cummins and Workhorse had similar sentiment. That article's on FreightWaves.com. Uh, on Monday, we, got, we showed you a video, right, of an ambulance that fell off the back of a car carrier. Mm. Well, now we have one from the Fond du Lake County Sheriff. Did I say that right? You're a little better with the French. Just pronounce that for me. You're right. Fond, Fond, Fond du Lake. Fond du Lac. Right. Country Sheriff's Fond Office. And what we're, what we're watching here is uh, this truck is going. It's still icy out there. still winter in a lot of places, even if it may be beautiful right here in Chattanooga. This truck's just going to the skids, and it kind of blocks out the whole roadway. Scary situation. It doesn't look like anyone got, got caught up in this one, though. Yeah, I mean, it, it, you can see that uh, Allied van coming through is not having a good time <laughs> getting getting through this, my friend. Uh, very, very scary stuff. I mean, that's I mean, you got to be used to it, right, Dooner? I'm used to it. You're used to it. You cannot break. You've got to plan the uh, the the road ahead of you and what you're doing there to just try and maintain a consistent speed, uh, heavy speed up or hitting that brake at the wrong time. You're in trouble. Have you ever pulled the ice check while you're driving? Yeah, you know, I do that in, in rain and uh, and in ice just to kind of see, uh, to get a feel for the road. You know, how much you're going to grip. You, you have to. You have to if you drive in the Northeast because you, on the same roadway, you can experience black ice, snow, slush, ice underneath uh, the snow. There can be a lot of bad, not to mention all the stupid drivers who leave the snow on top of their car that comes off and just like projectiles at you. Yeah, absolutely. And when we did uh, the the blizzard drive from Chattanooga up to Chicago last, uh, you know, the 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 Thanksgiving before last for Chicago Live, right? Uh, it was uh, I I pulled one of those in one of the vans. I had to do an ice check, uh, an ice check on uh, the freeway just north of Indianapolis as we were going, and it and it um, gave about ten guys who uh, were from the south a, a heart attack in the back. <laughs> I remember Harrison going, did you do that on purpose? Yes. Don't do that. He said, he said, he said, don't do that again. <laughs> Freaked hey, out pretty look, bad. I was like, dude, I got to know what I'm driving on, man. Look, if it works, you're a pro. Dane Adams CTB says that Allied driver was a pro. Yeah. I mean, look, if it works, it's oh, yeah. not stupid. If you don't get into a big accident, you don't hurt anybody on the road. You made the right move. You don't, you don't have to question it. If it was instinct or skill, it doesn't matter. You save the day. Um, you know who's saving the day for people looking for new jobs? And this is an interesting time to talk to Wasim because, you know, with the pandemic, remote work has just been has been opened up to everybody. And that means that for all of us, there are a lot more opportunities out there. So if you don't like your job, pay close attention to what Wasim is going to tell us right now. Welcome to the show, my man. Hey, Junior. Hey, Mike. Thanks for having me. It's great to see you guys. It's great to see you. Hey, hey. It's great to see you as well. Would you, uh, would you mind introducing yourself to our lovely audience here? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me again. So my name is uh, Wasim Munayer. I'm the president and founder of the Munayer Group. We're in the uh, executive search firm, uh, boutique firm, specifically in the business of identifying talent for the supply chain and technology space and really where those two worlds kind of tend to overlap a lot in, in what has been come to, to be known as freight tech. And so we support a lot of traditional logistics service providers, as well as uh, technology players that are building technology solutions for the supply chain world, whether they be shippers or the service providers themselves and kind of everything in between. So I saw a post. Uh, Sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, I saw a post of yours on, on LinkedIn, right? And uh, one thing that really attracts me to a job is a, is a nice office dog, even more if I could bring my own <laughs> dog. I know that you guys just added one to the family, right? Her name is Isla. Her, her name is Isla. Yeah, Isla. we can uh, we can introduce. Oh, there's a cute picture of her. <laughs> Look at that. Yeah, she's grown quite a bit since then. Maybe she'll come say hi real quick. There she is. Yeah. 
Say hi. Oh, hey there. Say hi, Freightman's World. Hi. Hey, doggy. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> That's Hello. awesome. It's it's kind of kind of creepy that Dooner's got a shot from inside your house, isn't mm. it? It is. It is. We'll have a conversation about that after. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Hi. <laughs> hey, for those uh, for for the audio listeners, what type of dog is is she? Uh, for the audio listeners, she's a Boykin Spaniel, native to South Carolina. Yeah, so she's a she's a hunting dog. She's she's bred for duck hunting, but the only thing she'll be hunting is is toys out of our pool. I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very cool. Hey, you know, uh, uh, <laughs> when I when I was recruited or or fell into into supply chain or or trucking, uh, they were they were recruiting uh, jocks who started out as doctorates and then and then wound up in just regular business admin. And now you you lump supply chain and technology together, which is pretty pretty interesting. Uh, but the opportunities in this have changed quite a bit. What kind of opportunities are you looking for in like 2021? Is it is a good time to, to make a move? Where are the where are the good opportunities at in supply chain and tech? Sure. Yeah. So there's, you know, I think for every every individual it's different and it's based on where you want to go with your career. But um, you know, a lot of the roles that we're working on tend to be in that space, like I said, that's thriving today. Um, it was thriving prior to the pandemic. The pandemic definitely expedited uh, the process of um, a demand for technology to, to drive efficiencies, to drive co- continuous improvement and visibility. And we see a lot of that in some of the new freight tech players, whether they're tele- telematics or autonomous players, um, anybody providing visibility and, and bringing more data to the table for all the players involved, whether they be shippers, carriers, brokers, drivers themselves. Uh, there's a lot of innovation going on right now, and that's where our focus has been. You know, for each individual, um, you know, I tell candidates, friends, family, the same thing. Follow the money, right? If you want to know which companies are thriving, there's there's hundreds of millions of dollars in the market right now being committed through private equity or venture capital firms towards certain organizations, and and most of that is is often public knowledge, right? Yeah. So you want to look at those things, um, and you also want to look at uh, the leadership, right? Uh, it's easier today now more than ever to follow strong leaders. You know, look at if you're considering an organization, look at the the CEO, look at the senior leadership team, who's running that company, and what has their track record been in the past? Uh, multiple organizations. That's usually a pretty good indicator of, you know, this is an organization that I want to consider. And and lastly, thirdly, I would say, you know, what are you passionate about? Um, you know, looking looking at an organization, their product, their go-to-market strategy how they're going to influence the market, how they're going to influence their customers and all their stakeholders. Are you passionate about solving the problem that they're going to solve? And so that's, that's a critical piece because, you know, work is, is no longer eight, eight hours a day of our life. It's, you know, it's become a large part of our life. And so you better be excited about the product that you're serving. Yeah, you mentioned follow the money, and we had relay payments on on Monday. They've raised forty three million dollars. Say to us, we're starting as a we're starting as a remote first company. Last Wednesday, we had fast on. They just raised one hundred and two million dollars in a Series B funding round, um, championed by Square. Uh, they're also a remote first company. So has this remote first thing, especially with newer companies, really increased the the scope and the net that that candidates can um, can throw out now? For sure, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it's been uh, it's been quite the shakeup for the job market, right? You have candidates who, you know, live in let's say New Jersey or New York, and who would have otherwise never considered moving for whatever reason. You know, now they see an opportunity with an awesome company in Austin, Texas, and they can consider they can put their hat in for those for those roles. And at the same time, we see a shakeup because uh, there are folks that 
were only tied to the area that they live in because of their job. And so now they can relocate from New York to Austin or from Chicago to Jacksonville, Florida, because they can either keep the job that they have and work remotely or, um, you know, there's appeal for their talent in different areas. And the jobs are moving as well. I think that's a good segue, right? We see a lot of companies that find that it's easier to attract talent, uh, strong talent and lower cost of living areas. So we see a lot of movement from, you know, freight tech companies out of Silicon Valley going to Austin, going to Miami and so on and so forth. So, yeah, to your point, there, there's definitely been a shakeup because of the remote opportunities. So, uh, Wasim, I'm, I'm interested because you, you talked about going to, uh, you know, uh, lower cost of living areas and so on. And so salaries are adjusted for a certain amount for different areas, like a, a job in Manhattan and considering the the cost of living there, the taxes, the commute and all that kind of thing. Now that you can recruit people from a much larger area and from lower cost of living areas like Chattanooga and stuff like that, is that changing salary requirements or, or salaries being offered? Are you seeing a trend there? Not, not so much. I think uh, the, when companies evaluate their salary grades, they're still taking into consideration where the, where the talent is living. The same way, you know, as an enterprise-wide company, let's say based in New York, they might pay the same person in the same job sitting in their Secaucus, New Jersey office uh, more than they're paying the person sitting in, in Nashville. Um, and so I don't think that that has changed as much, but it's definitely created um, a lot more talent a larger talent pool to be available to folks like me who are recruiting and to my clients. And it's also created a lot more competition, right? I mean, you used to compete with the top 10% A players in your own region, in your own area, and uh, relocating somebody was the exception. Whereas now you're, you're competing with talent across the country and sometimes across the globe. You know, Bob Marley, he once said, so let's answer this from the context of a recruiting candidate, right? But Bob Marley once said, the truth is everyone is going to hurt you. You just got to find the ones worth suffering for. In your opinion, what or who is worth suffering for? Yeah, so I think, I, I think what I'm understanding uh, is, is that how do, we, how do we decide, you know, which organization do we want to give our blood, sweat, and tears to? Uh, and and how, do we, how do we figure that out? So I think um, you know, you have to look at your own organization first if you're already employed. And, and I heard a, a really good analogy recently uh, of performance management, right? And so as employees of an organization, your performance is constantly being managed. You might have annual reviews or six-month reviews and so on and so forth. And I always encourage my candidates and, and my colleagues and people in my network to, to manage the performance of your employer, right? I mean, uh, create KPIs and metrics in your own head or even in conversation with your leadership team for what your expectation is for the performance of your organization as an employer. How do I want to be treated as an employee? Are they looking at my growth potential in a proactive way or a retroactive way? Um, you know, what is the path for me here? Are we innovative? Is the culture strong? And really keep an eye on those things the same way that, you know, your performance is being managed as well. And so that will help you decide if and when is it a good time to consider leaving my organization. And then you really want to look at the track record using the same criteria and the same metrics for potential employers moving forward. You know, how do I, it's just like when you're selling a product, right? You narrow down your top five prospects. Who do I want to go after? And then figure out who's going to be good for the product, but the product is yourself Yeah. Um, in terms of their need and what they have to offer you as well. So people who want to move their product being themselves to a new employer, or maybe they lost a job during the pandemic, or they want a fresh start. How do we send them your way so they can get that assistance from you and your team? Sure. Absolutely. They can connect with me on LinkedIn, um, open, open to connecting with everybody on LinkedIn uh, they can visit our website, moonayergroup.com, just like my last name spelled there, moonayergroup.com. 
reach out to me that way or email me at wasim at muneyagroup.com. And uh, I love to network and connect with everybody. Thank you. Thank you for sharing uh, Isla with us and uh, and dropping some knowledge on us about uh, new opportunities. We appreciate it. Michael Vincent, though, our next guest is going to talk about what you want to do. Michael Vincent, our next guest is going to talk about what you want to do if uh, maybe you don't want a uh, maybe you don't want to st- uh, uh, you don't want to work at a desk job. Right. Or you don't want to work- go the traditional route. You want to go in the gig economy. You want to join the human cloud. Yeah. It's Matthew Matola. He's co-founder and CEO of Venture L. And he also has a new book out that he's a co-author of called The Human Cloud. Uh, Matthew, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, I'm so pumped to be with you all. Thanks for having me. <laughs> I heard I heard from our uh, production person, Crystal, that um, you were talking to her about you're, you've got caught up in this GameStop hype a little bit, the cost hype a little bit. What do you make of the meme stocks? I was briefed. I was briefed. I'm quite pumped up. Uh, I'll be honest, I'm not the biggest fan of hedge funds and finance. And so to hear that a bunch of, you know, Reddit rebels were able to take down and potentially take down gets me pretty pumped up. Not going to lie. Yeah, I agree with you. I thought it was I thought it was pretty cool. I likened it to the Danny DeVito movie, Other People's Money. I I thought I think it's kind of entertaining to watch. I agree with you. I yeah, nothing makes me happier than the threads and just seeing all the memes and even there's that video. Did you see where they had they they put a voiceover? It was oh, great. <laughs> it's, been, it's, been, it's good stuff. I mean, look, it's 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 entertaining. Are you not entertained? It's like standing in the arena at Gladiator versus uh, versus the the old guard and just seeing uh, them get a little of their comeuppance for once. And I can't root against it. And right. look, some of the people you're in stories from these are people who are like you know they're 22 year olds in college debt and they're like I am able to buy my mother a house now as long as they don't get burned right as long as they get out at the at the right time so you gotta you still gotta play that well super volatile market um unless you know what you're doing i don't necessarily recommend you jumping in it but there is some opportunity out there so if you're you're feeling wild i don't know go take a look and do some research but um you you went to umass and babson so i gotta ask are you a mass hole like me also i guess yes i grew up in a small town called newburyport uh i do pronounce my r's i do not say what is it i say wicked a bunch but i do make sure i pronounce my r's Where, where are you from I am from uh, I'm from uh, Dorchester. I lived in for a bit. I lived in South Boston. I lived in Needham, Massachusetts. But uh, not no report. I think that's the home of uh, the word life, John Cena. <laughs> hey, next door, next door, West Newbury. And actually, I used to work at his gym, and he would have uh, things in the mail would come in. They would say from John. It was it was awesome. But uh, yeah, no, he. Uh, there's plenty of John Cena videos that I watched that crack me up, and I always you'd think I think he lived five minutes down my house. Actually, little grocery store his parents own. <laughs> so so matt you're you're wicked smart i mean uh wicked smart <laughs> uh <laughs> and you you wrote what the human cloud can you talk talk to us about venture l and human cloud what are we talking for about sure. We, for sure for sure yeah so i'm actually i'm gonna bounce off of what you just talked about uh, and you you hit on something that was who do we give our blood sweat and tears to I, I think we should you know anchor everything around that so what the book is saying what venture l is saying is we're not saying the world's going to be 100% freelancers. It's true that in the next five years, over half of the workforce will be independent. Uh, But what we're saying is that the individual, so us, we have more power than ever before. So 20 years ago, you know, our our grandparents or you name it, if we said, hey, we're never going to work for a company, we're going to work for ourselves, they'd say, you're nuts, go get a job and keep working for that company for 20 years. Today, we say, oh, I'll work at this company for one year, this company for two years. I'll have a couple of different projects, a couple of different clients. And the, the technology that we talk about in the book is what's enabled this to happen. And so what we like to say is whether you're an employer, whether you're an employee, whether you're a freelancer, it's really down to the fact that you can create so much value just yourself. You don't need a bunch of money. You don't need a bunch of headcount. You don't need a bunch of tools and technologies. You just need the, the what we call the human cloud. 
Now, when I started out podcasting, I was on the independent side, and it was a little bit different time than now, even four years ago. Uh, you know, the creator the creator opportunities now are completely different. There's so many really good ones. There's a lot of tempting opportunities out there when you look at what's going on. But when I started out, it was really, really tough to to even get a, to get a client, to sponsor, and all of those kind of things. How has that changed a little bit? Because I know that Venture L deals a little bit with it, and your book kind of deals with both of those things, too. What kind of market are people looking at now if they don't want to go that traditional route? Yeah. So, and I think you, one of the points you're bringing up is there's, there's so many more people. And especially if we look at the freelance economy, we're talking about usually designers, we're talking about developers, we're talking about content writers. If what you do in your job can be done in a project or an outcome basis, you can be a freelancer. And the impact that we've seen from a COVID perspective is that, yeah, the number of freelancers has 3x increased. And you've seen it in podcasting with the creator economy, the passion economy, you name it. There's kind of two things have happened. Number one, opportunity has been democratized, meaning all you need is an internet address and you can you know, tap into anyone in the world. And then number, the tw- uh, number two, the tools have made it easy. So anyone technically can have a podcast. Anyone technically can be an author. Now, with that said, something that we want to really, really hit on is even though there's more people, there's more of an importance of trust. And so purposefully, I actually make sure that I don't have my own sort of production studio. The camera I use is just my laptop and I use my, these, you know, I don't even use AirPods. And the reason for that is because I want to make sure that everyone knows the importance and the prioritization is on the relationship. So just because you have a million dollar sort of webcam doesn't mean that you're going to go make more money, which is why shows like this, I you know love because you have the trust, right? You have built the trust layer. So yeah, there's, there's more freelancers. There's more clients that want to spend on freelancers and there's more creators. But at the end of the day, it's all about value and specifically how you can earn the trust of your users. Great, great advice and great, great topic, great insight. So how does VentureL come into the picture? Talk to me about VentureL. What are you doing? Yeah. So Human Cloud says why? Human Cloud says this is, this is mm-hmm. why we need to move towards an independent economy. VentureL right. says, holy crap, there's going to be some serious problems if we keep the current models in place. So the current models from a freelance perspective are usually a marketplace model, which if we think about eBay, you put a post up, which would be the client saying who can do this job. And then freelancers basically just fight each other through the race to the bottom in terms of who will win that project. Venturel sort of says, F that. Let's put the power in the hands of the actual people, meaning the freelancers, and specifically freelancers to have more capacity. What I mean by that is if you take 10 freelancers, four usually have too much work, and then six are stuck on these marketplaces. And so what we do is we enable, we would call them small business owners to be able to run their business more efficiently. And by that, they also actually hire other freelancers. And so we are the operating system. So if you work with us, we're going to slash your, you know, the friction for you to do business in half. You're going to be able to take on 15 more projects. Yeah. You know, one of the difficulties with the the gig economy is that it's just the inconsistency of pay, right? So people come from, they're used to working in a, in a stable job with a steady income and they, they know what to expect uh, every two weeks when they get paid. Whereas in the gig economy, it can be much more difficult. You have to be your own sales team, your, your own marketing team, your own content creation team, your own working team. Um, you know, you can Fiverr and stuff these up, but what kind of tools do creators need right now to be, or freelancers need right now to be successful? Yeah, so I think let's let's call out what you mentioned right there of sort of when you do become independent, you have to become sales and marketing all this. I'm going to just really call out that I think that's a current state of mind. I, I believe that in the next five years, and we're already seeing it, that just because you're a freelancer doesn't mean you have to be an entrepreneur necessarily or a business owner, but instead you have to be part of, you could call it a pod, you could call it a collective, you could call it a group. And so I think the, the nearest comparable is think about it like an agency right? Agencies are usually one person that turns into two, that turns into five, that turns into 10. 
And all the human cloud does is it says, instead of having 10 people in agency, have 15 to 50 freelancers. So that brings up the first tool in technology that, that people should be thinking about, relationships. And I know that's not a tool in technology, but that's by far the most important thing in terms of an indicator of success for a freelance career, relationships with both clients and fellow freelancers. And if you think about it, it's not this sort of altruistic, you're going to have a fun social, you know, social life. Instead, other freelancers are going to need to refer work to you and they're going to need you to take on team-based work. And so if you collaborate with, let's say, five freelancers that do exactly what you do, and then 15 freelancers that are ancillary to you, you've now sort of enabled you, yourself to not be stuck in that you know, roller coaster, feast, or famine, but instead have more of a smooth in process because you're winning larger projects, you're having long, longer client cycles. But so yeah, I would flip it and say, tools and technologies are cool, but it's the relationships that really, really, really drive success in this industry. Yeah, relationships are incredibly, incredibly important. Couldn't couldn't uh, uh, agree more. The difficulty of building them, though, as a freelancer is is very hard. And you, you talk about companies that have these remote teams, uh, et cetera. How do these companies manage themselves, remanage these remote teams so you know they don't become obsolete? Yeah, so good question. So how, how, are, how are companies actually handling this? So the past two years, yeah. I was actually leading a product at Microsoft where – we would enable companies to go spend up to $100 million on freelancers. We're talking the hiring and the management. So there's there's a couple of different answers, but at the end of the day, we can break it down into think of it as two variables. And what I mean by that is you have company and you have the actual buyer. And the buyer is usually the individual within that company who's buying you. Now, that individual is working with you no differently than you'd work with someone in a company. Think about it as a sort of manager and direct report relationship. And then you have the company that's going in and spending up to a million to a hundred million dollars on you. Now, you know, we can get super technical and we can talk about, you know, security compliance integration. Don't worry about that because as a freelancer and as the individual buyer, you're probably not going to see that. Instead, let's focus on sort of what's going to get you to grow the existing account. What we mean by that, it's what's going to get that buyer to spend more on you. It's no different than any relationship. You start off with a small outcome. You then get larger and larger and larger and larger. And it's all about, I hate to say it, but come back to that relationship. And so from a, from a company side, I will give you one sort of wow case. And I, I'm not going to, I'm so pumped to tell you guys about this because <laughs> I, I'm, you know, at, at heart, I actually started in manufacturing. And the fact that, you know, with, with trucking, I'm like, oh my God, yes, like blue collar America, finally. But so uh, North America's largest <laughs> motorcycle manufacturer, they needed a digital riders experience. Uh, obviously, you're not going to get a bunch of developers that dress like me and are hanging out in San Francisco to move to the middle of the country. So instead, they tapped into 25 to 30 remote freelancers all across the world uh, to build their mobile experience. That's that's so damn cool. That's like that, that, yeah, that, that's my favorite one. I was going to make sure I plug that in for you all, and especially you know you, you all listening. Uh, that's by far my favorite one. <laughs> I mean, I love I love remote work. It's it's really just changed the game completely. I also love all the creator tools, and you guys have talked about some really interesting things here because you do get to a certain point where you work for a company, but you've you've built up an audience and you've built up that trust. So what's proprietary about working for that company that you can't just go and do? on your own and go create for yourself. So, um, and those opportunities were, were kind of harder to come by. But one thing that companies do help you with is sort of liability and keeping you from being a target and, and being sued and stuff. Are people starting to form, especially on the media side, are they starting to form any collectives to create a protective barrier from, um, from those kind of attacks? For sure. Yeah. I mean, the, the number one thing is if you have an LLC, you can't get personally sued, right? And so you have one master LLC, all the collectives are running under there, the invoices, the, uh, you know, uh, what's it called proposal documents, all the contracts are running through there. That's 100% happening. In fact, one of the, the biggest misnomers is I think right now it's 1.2 million freelancers in the US alone hire one or more employees. 
And so if you're asking, you know, how do, what does a freelancer look like? They don't look like a freelancer. They look like a studio or a, an agency or a design boutique or some type of, yeah, it's, so they're, they're not looking like individuals. They usually are an LLC or LLP with a bunch of freelancers underneath. I, I love your passion and I love what you're, 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 you're all about there, there, Matt. And, and one of the things I've always been about is, uh, and let me just ask it to you in, in, in a question this when you'll get what I'm, I'm, I'm saying here is, is it, can you build uh, or do uh, more epic shit wearing sweatpants or wearing a tie? Sweatpants, for sure. <laughs> I mean, they can't be, they can't be crap sweatpants, but I mean, for sure, sweatpants. Right. Uh, yeah, of course. You have, you, let's put it this way. I'm most productive from 10 p.m. to usually 2 a.m. I can't, I'm not going to wear a tie from 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. And then to reverse that, I'm most productive at a coffee shop. I'm not going to go wear a tie at a coffee shop. They'll all make fun of me. So yeah, sweatpants. <laughs> so you said gotcha. hey you you said you're over at you're in san francisco has has is this mass exodus overstated that we're hearing of people moving out of san francisco you hear the reports quite a bit yeah so i'm actually in miami right now so oh. i started in san francisco and, and the, here's the thing actually this this will sum it up for you in terms of what i think about remote work when i uh, was offered you know an opportunity at microsoft my first gut reaction was oh hell no i don't want to go work at a large company i i you know i'm, I'm a freelancer at heart and so uh, the first thing I did, though, is I said, all right, am I going to have budget to hire fellow freelancers so I don't go crazy? And then number two, can I work remote 90% of the time? And so I was technically headquartered in Seattle, but I was kind of traveling all around the world um, as, as, as part of the job. But so, yeah, so I did San Francisco then Seattle. I actually did the last year in Singapore. And because part of that is I want to understand global collaboration, because one of the things we kind of that are one of the roadblocks we have as an industry is we work great, say, U.S. to Europe or U.S. to U.S., but we need to both have clients and we both need have, you know, have collaboration with people in Asia and Europe and Africa and South America. And so, yeah, I did the past year in Singapore. But right now, uh, I'm in Miami. Uh, the East Coast time zone is where it's best for me to be. And I will say that SF Exodus is totally real. Uh, I go to the coffee shop and I keep seeing people in SF, you know, sweatshirts, shirts, or I'll see the, the you know, the paraphernalia that they're wear, they'll wear. And I'll kind of, you know, ask them the language because SF is a weird, 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 weird place. Uh, but yeah, no, it's, it's totally real. Wait, what is the lingo? Can you ask us <laughs> in San Francisco how you would talk to this person yeah. at the, at the coffee shop? Okay. So, so here we go. So here's a hint. So say I'd sell you at the coffee shop, right? I would ask some generic question about like ayahuasca or did you see your shaman over the weekend? And then I'd like try to see if you had a Burning Man sticker on your laptop and then like there's some, you know, I, I'd ask you, I'd notice what time you were in the coffee shop. If it's before 10 a.m., you definitely ain't coming from San Francisco. But if it's after and you weren't sweatpants, yeah, you probably did. Uh, yeah, but that's usually the language. Just ask about, you know, psychedelic drugs or ayahuasca and your shaman. And you'll, you'll, <laughs> you'll figure out real quick if they actually lived there for more than six days. There you go. So now we know how to fake it. <laughs> exactly. You leave the secrets. Go nuts. Right. So Matt, I've, I'm, I'm a, I'm a freelancer, my friend, and I've got a business. I'm all, I'm all set up and I'm, and I'm going here and I'm, I'm, but the problem is I'm trying to do everything I can think of to grow this thing that, that I know of in business. What am I missing, Matt? How am I growing this business? I'd ask two questions. I'd ask who are your clients right now and who do you want them to be? So the first thing we do is we'd evaluate sort of what are you, what's your existing client base? And is that the client base that you want to grow with for the next 50 years to grow your business? The reason I ask that is because in those client accounts, you're usually only getting like two to 10% of what you can get. And so that's the first thing we do. The second thing is if, if they aren't the clients you want, uh, because 41% of freelancers, they actually go purely off of existing relationships. And uh, it's, it's easier to grow within an account than to have to go find new ones generally. So that's the first thing. Look at your existing. Second thing is if you want new accounts, 
we'd figure out sort of what's your allocation strategy to get that. And this is where it doesn't determine you know, what type of freelancer you are. But the first thing we generally do is we say, okay, a quicker path is generally partnerships with fellow freelancers. So let's say that you want to get into fintech and you've been you know, existing, you've been in more of the marketing side or a, a different space. We'd say, let's go meet some freelancers that are either, either doing what you're doing, doing or ancillary to you. Uh, that are in the space you want to get to. So that'd be sort of the first step. Second step would be, we just try to understand the buyer of that customer. I think one thing that freelancers can can learn from is basic sales, uh, not necessarily being the best salesperson, but sort of basic in terms of who is the buyer so that you can reach out to them and quite frankly, disqualify who's not going to be the, the right person for you. But yeah, so I'd say start with existing accounts. Are they the right people and companies that you want to work with? If yes, are you tapping out what you can from them? If yes, then let's move on to the next clients and let's start by talking with fellow freelancers and then let's figure out the buyers of who exactly is going to buy you. You know, you mentioned this really sort of obvious thing. I was watching this documentary um, on HBO about the National Enquirer and every time they write an article, it's written for one person, which is an archetype, right? It's, uh, I forget, I was like Missy Missy May or something and she's, uh, you know, uh, uh, a middle-class American woman in the line at the grocery store shopping for a family. Every article is written for that specific woman. I worked at Talbot's, a clothing place. Every sort of, every piece of clothing designed was for a certain archetype and I think that a lot of times people in sales kind of miss that. You also mentioned something earlier that was sort of an assumption. Um, what kind of assumptions do we make that maybe counterproductive or what's one strong assumption or that we make um, that seems counterproductive, but isn't to freelance work? Yeah, I think one assumption is, and I'd, I'd actually say this is just in general to any type of business leadership, is we focus on a, a, a how do you say, within the persona, we focus either on a skill or a role. And we don't focus on the actual need or the emotional want. And so what I mean by that is a lot of our freelancers, the indicator is not necessarily what skill they do or uh, where they are or located or what industry. It's more of the need of what they feel like they are the want of what they really want to do. And most of them want to be remote leaders, meaning they want to lead a, a group of 15 to fellow freelancers that they feel very, very passionate about and they have a strong identity with. And so there are some little indicators, but I'd say that's generally the biggest misconception is that, to be honest, we get too sort of formalized and too business-like. And in the end of the day, we're all just kind of humans. One of the best things I did when I, when I left business school is I realized that 90% of what they taught me you know, not, is not necessarily applicable right now. Uh, it will be down, you know, it does come down the road. But yeah, that's the first thing is stop being so robotic and stop being so formal. Just figure out who the person that you want to talk to, really, what, what they really, really want, and start from there. That is that is really good advice. So, um, let's should we ask him a stupid question there, Dooner? Here before we have to go. Yeah, we get we get we got well, we got a good question and a stupid question. You you did mention advice. Yeah, you want to yeah, go yeah. that one? Well, oh, am I going to get pick? I want no, the, no. I, I, I thought Michael was going to go with this one. What's a piece of advice that sounds great, but oh. in practice is actually pretty bad? Oh man, there's so many of these. <laughs> uh, I would say listen, I would say listening to people. No, just kidding. Um, I would say it's both sides. I would say both listening to what someone says, but then also not listening to what someone says. I would say taking every piece of feedback that you get from the, you know, when you start your career to when you're sitting at the top, listening to every piece of advice and picking out the pattern, but not necessarily taking action on it. And one quick example here is if, you know, when I grew up, I was told go finance and accounting and then go to a corporate job. Thank God I was so stubborn that I did freelancing, but then also thank God that I wasn't too stubborn that I just freelanced because a lot of the sort of, I guess you could say success that I've, that I've been able to have has been more 
balanced in terms of I'm not too extreme, but I'm also not too traditional. So that's what I would say is, you know, in, in terms of that question, don't exactly listen, but also don't just discount it. <laughs> gotcha. Gotcha. All right. So now the serious question, if, if you discovered Bigfoot, how would you go about revealing uh, that you did it and how would you promote it? Oh, this is such a good question. So I found Bigfoot. I mean, are we the History Channel? Because they've been running shows for, what, five years now about finding Bigfoot? And no, you're you. Kind you're of funny to watch. You're you. Yeah, up, up in uh, the red, by the Redwoods of Yellowstone. You know, you're visiting yeah. SFO. You're back over that way and you see, you see Bigfoot. You're you. You're living the life you live now. Yes, yeah, but no, you've got, awesome. you've got evidence, too. You, you have it's the awesome. evidence. Actually, you know what I'm probably going to do is I'm probably going to ask Bigfoot if I, we can make a bunch of T-shirts. Because here's a funny – you're not prepared for this. This is my, my phone, Sloth Armstrong, if you can see. Yeah, there we go. Oh, so nice. I'd probably make a, a, a Sloth Armstrong version of Bigfoot and then ask if uh, we can promote the crap out of it and then take those resources and put it back into some type of freelancer fund, maybe freelancer benefits or something like that. Okay, so Bigfoot Talks. That? Bigfoot Talks in- This is in- starting to work, actually. Can we do this now? Hey, go find Bigfoot. We need to get some money to, to put into some freelancer benefits. Yeah. Well, apparently he talks in, in your fantasy. <laughs> this is a talking Bigfoot, which, uh, you know, that, that would be even more- Marketable. It was like Harry and the Hendersons or something. Yeah, well, he, he talks and he's already trademarked himself. And, and so you've got to get contracts involved. I would probably ask Bigfoot his his number one fun fact, and I would just blast that everywhere. And hopefully it'd be interesting. But maybe he's normal. Maybe he's just like, I'm really a guy named Rick, and I just like mashed potatoes. Well, hey, man, we I'd lo- probably just ask him what piece of advice that it sounds great in practice, but it's really bad in practice. What what piece of advice is that? That's what I would ask. Him. <laughs> oh, well, I'd say following your passion. Actually. Don't follow your passion. <laughs> yeah. That's bullshit. Right. Follow something that people are going to pay you for that you're curious about. Yeah, no, that's that's the easiest thing to write about. Whenever I write about something, I have to do my newsletter. It's it's stuff I usually don't even know that much about. It's just like I want to learn about it, so let's just put my learning to work, and I'll write about it as I as I learn about it. Um, people who want to learn more about you, they want to read your book, they want to get all that stuff. We are out of time, but where should we send them to? Yeah, go to my LinkedIn. You'll see everything there. And then if you do want links, go to Human Cloud Book, and then go to VentureL.io. But my LinkedIn is probably the easiest place to start. Thank you very much. We appreciate your time today. You gave us some great advice. Hey, thanks for having me, y'all. Cheers. Take care. Thanks, Matt. It's time to say thank you again to our sponsor, Zembles. End the frustration of chasing dead leads and start using Zembles data. Zembles will get you to the companies that are spending on trucking and logistics so you know where to focus your selling, just like he talked about, right? Focus your selling. Know who your customers. Know who your missy is. Uh, start.zembles.com slash free trial and sign up for a demo today. And now we're going to talk to our friend Mario Paul. Pawlowski. I should be able to say it even better because I'm half Polish CEO at iTrucker at Chicago, Illinois. Dzień dobry, my friend. Dzień dobry. <laughs> well, hey, Mario, introduce yourself, young man. How you doing? I'm good. How are you? We're good, man. Tell us tell us a little bit about yourself for our audience who may not be familiar. Uh, what do you mean the audience not be familiar? Well, my audience is kind of uh, getting bigger and bigger, uh, not only in the tracking industry and the supply chain, but also in the technology industry. Me and my wife, Margaret, you know, uh, lately uh, become kind of known uh, around the world uh, for, uh, uh, you know, for uh, influencing the, uh, you know, the digital transformation. Okay. I was talking Excellent. about my audience, but that's okay too. <laughs> I was just talking for my, for my audience who know you do eye trucker, right? Tell us what that is. Well, the eye tracker, you know, we started, you know, as you remember, probably we talked before once, uh, that was, uh, you know, we started as a, um, 
we try to build the uh, ELD, but then you know after sometimes you know we quit that we quit that idea. You know that was kind of too complicated for us. But uh, then you know at one point we became. Uh, we became a company, not company, we became a kind of, you know, community for a tracking industry and trying to connect uh, old school trackers with the uh, new technology, which is, you know, coming, which is already here. And, you know, lots of tracking, uh, tracking companies, lots of, uh, you know, trackers, uh, they have a, like a big issue with it, you know. So we're trying to connect them with, the, you know, uh, with the future, with basically with the things which are coming, you know. So basically, uh, let's say, you know, for example, uh, you know, they don't like ELD, but they have to use it, you know. So lots of them, you know, they have a problem with that. So basically, uh, you know, we trying to kind of connect them, you know, the past trackers with the future, you know. And that's what we do. Yeah, yeah, excellent. So, hey, Mario, so you were recently, I guess you were at you were at CES, which is a which was virtual this year, right? Um, yes. Can you talk to us about that? So, how was the presentation of the event? How did it go? Was it was it done well or or what? Oh, that was great. That was you know that was the first actually that was the first time you know the CES was uh, online. That was you know uh, online only event. You know, like uh, you guys had it before. You know, but. Uh, those first time, first time that was about I don't know sixty, more than sixty thousand attendees. You know I don't know how many you know uh, companies that was there. You know that was a lot. You know everything was about the technology. You know the it, it was great. It, it was basically great, and you know uh, the SES was you know the one in a time you know event. Wow. So what did you, what was cool? What can you report back? What did you see at, uh, it's the consumer electronics show, any tech that you saw there that would apply to Freda? I know you're big into like VR, AR, flying taxis and all that kind of stuff, judging by your Twitter. Well, yeah, that was, oh my, I don't know where to start even, you know, that was so much of it, you know, like a flying cars, uh, drones, you know, drones, you know, is the subject with, I believe, you know, it's a future. It's like a near future, you know, FedEx, uh, UPS, uh, and, you know, companies like that, you know, they, they, they will use drones, you know, in next, you know, few years, we will see drones, you know, flying over the, you know, our head, you know, I even opened a new block, it's called Last Mile Air which is, you know, uh, which is going to be a blog about the, you know, about the last mile delivery, you know, like a, you know, lightweight, you know, uh, cargo delivered, you know, to, to your, uh, uh, you know, to your homes. But uh, the things which, you know, kind of struck me, uh, there was a caterpillar actually gearing into autonomous vehicles in the mining industry. So, uh, at SAS, you know, the autonomous vehicles are actually autonomous vehicles technology was one of the main subjects, you know, and the companies like Sony, a uh, company like IndyCar, you know, uh, they actually coming into this, you know, industry. So this is this is basically, you know, great. Well, of all this this technology that you're looking at there, I, I agree with you with the with the drones. Drones are very, very interesting, especially uh, where they're being used in in almost altruistic methods, but, you know, in, in rural or impoverished companies, uh, countries getting vaccines and medical supplies and that type of stuff with infrastructures and built in. But some of that, some of that, that, that technology, what do you see as being really new and innovative that would work in freight? And I, I know you like drones, but what else besides drones would you see there that's going to work really well in freight that you think? 
Well, I mean, you know, there is, you know, everything, you know, like uh, 5G, uh, you know, uh, 5G is going to be, it will enable, you know, uh, like uh, companies, you know, uh, to get, you know, like a real, you know, like a real time information, you know, and they be able, you know, 5G actually is the technology, which is actually one of the pieces. It's enabled, you know, autonomous vehicles, let's say autonomous trucks, like, you know, uh, companies like, you know, uh, whatever, you know, who's who's into like a too simple, you know, or whatever, you know, the companies like that, you know, without the 5G technology, it's not going to be possible, you know, to build the future with the autonomous, you know, vehicles. And autonomous technology, you know, with the tracking industry, actually, this is very interesting because, you know, actually autonomous trucks, semi-trucks technology, it's actually up front before even, you know, the regular cars. Okay, uh, I have a question for you. Yeah, you know, I'm a yeah. big, I'm a big fan of SkyMall, right? I, I know it doesn't exist anymore, but what was like the most ridiculous tech? I like when I get the ads on Twitter of like the electric um, earwax remover. That's like an electric toothbrush with a Q-tip on it. Uh, what tech were you like? This, this is just not going to work. This is silly. Well, that, that was silly kind of, you know, but, you know, some of this, you know, technology, you know, it's it's just, you know, they showing this technologies. It's kind of like a. They just starting. They are innovators, you know. It's it's a new technology, you know. It looks silly. It's not gonna work, but I'm sure in time, like let's say next few months, next few next few years, there's gonna be companies who's gonna pick up this idea and they're gonna make it work. And they're gonna be uh, companies which are uh, actually, you know, they're gonna make it work and they're gonna sell it to the you know public. Wow. So that's how it's work, you know. Usually, you know that uh, you know uh, lots of people, you know, come up with ideas. 20, 40 years ago, and that seems, you know, that was seems, you know, funny at the time, but, you know, after many years, you know, somebody pick up this, you know, uh, idea and somebody, you know, perfected and this technology, you know, actually is working right now and the people are buying this. Wow. Well, excellent. Excellent. I guess I'll have to do my own research and make my own judgments based on that one. Thank you very much. Mario, where do we send our listeners to? <laughs> they want to check out your, your work and learn more from you and your team. I'm sorry. Can you repeat that? Uh, uh, just plug, plug, plug your stuff. Where where should we send people after this interview? Where do they want to go? Oh, what do you mean? Where do they want to go? iTrucker.com. Go check out Mario on iTrucker.com. Mario, thank you so much for joining us on the air today. We appreciate mm-hmm. your time. Very good. Thank you, sir. All right. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. And uh, guys, you have a good day. Yes. Take care. Thank you, Mario. All right. Our good friend, we're call, we're pulling into the, the final uh, station here. Our good friend, Charlie DeHoney, Big Money DeHoney, he wrote an article. I didn't know he was a meme lord, but he wrote an article on FreightWaves.com about the best meme sites, right? So memes across America. We oh. talked about meme stocks. Let's talk about some of these memes across America, if we can display some of these. Um, and some of these sites, too. One of them that, that I'm familiar with is Detention Denied. I knew about this one before I checked out his list on Instagram. But um, one of the ones they're showing is server rooms across America. They have, uh, you know, Netflix is big and beautiful. Steam is big and beautiful. Instagram is yeah. big and beautiful. And then DAT is a uh, computer, right? It opened up like a old school tower computer with uh, with a fan attached to it. <laughs> that's hilarious. <laughs> uh, they, they have another one. They have another one that's uh, know your customers and prospects here, and uh, these ones are brilliant. I mean, they got they got Ken, Lamar, Jennifer, Eric, Barb, and Daryl, and these uh, these suit every archetype you, you you would find, right? Like Barb, former gatekeeper turned decision maker. I mean, how many of those have you talked to, Daryl? <laughs> that's awesome. Daryl promoted to the dock to inbound manager because he goes hunting with uh, the hiring guy. 
you got Eric, who's the uh, the former broker, spitting in your face every time he talks, and you know Jennifer, who joined the industry and has no idea what she's doing. <laughs> so interesting characters there. Uh, there's a few other ones too. I don't know how many of you you visited, how many of these different sites you visited. Another one is um, how every TQL broker you talk to sounds. The picture of Alex Jones. Oh, it's going crazy. Yeah. T- TQ- <laughs> TQL. TQL, sometimes a target for a lot of these. Um, this was a good one here. It was uh, one of our obscure brokers is sending us holiday cookies. Looks like we have found a new single source provider. Yeah, I love it. Love it. Love it. They got, a, <laughs> they got a Karen meme going on. This is over a truck ordered, not used. They got the Karen meme drivers after being at the ship for more than two hours, just picking up the phone and uh, and complaining. <laughs> <laughs> is that, that that is that a Karen meme? Is that what that is? Yeah. So how many how many how, speaking of the Karen memes? How many how many uh, baby girls do you think were named Karen last year? Um, oh, just after the meme. Yeah, yeah, yeah. After the meme hit. Interesting, you because you think Probably some people you think some people would just avoid it because of that, but then some might lean yeah. into it. Yeah, right. I mean, if it's down now, it's got to become be, it, it, cyclically. It should be hip pretty soon. Right? <laughs> yeah, but the memes we were just talking about, you can find them. If you're on Instagram, you're just looking to have some fun during the day. You can find them at Detention Denied, at uh, Dispatcher of the Year, I Hate Freight, and Truck Ordered, Not Used. All of those uh, sound exactly as they're said right there. Look them up on Instagram or go to FreightWaves.com. Charlie DeHoney's argument, uh, not argument, his article is there, and you can find out all about it. You know, we kind of set the table for, for new job sales and all of those kind of things today, and there's a good reason for that, Michael Vincent, because... Getting the band back together with Kevin Hill tomorrow, hosting a little thing called the Sales and Marketing Summit. We'll be doing a, we doing just put the coffee, put that coffee down. Jeez, I've only been away for a month and I forget the name. Put that, put that coffee down. Is this your reunion, reunion tour here? Is this like your, is this your last world tour that's going to be like another one (laughs) next year or next (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's it's like well, it's I'm gonna be like David Lee Roth. I'm only coming back for one day. I'm gonna come back for one day, and then uh, then I'm right back to the, to what the truck. But it's gonna be it's gonna be a fun event. We have a lot of great guests coming on. One of them is uh is Toby Doy Howell at at Morning Brew, and um he's taught me so much about social media. He's a young kid out of college, but he gets the game right, and he's not afraid to share his knowledge about it. We had him on put that coffee down during the summertime. Um, they've grown two, three, four times even since then as uh as they become almost like, you know, the, the meme newsletter of business choice. They obviously target that millennial audience very, very well. Be exciting to talk to him. We also have, um, you know, Greg Johnson. We talked to him the other day, right? The gentleman from Zembles. Yep. Yep. We certainly, we certainly did. And that's a good one. And we had Toby Howell on, uh, we had him on what the truck as well. No, we didn't. We had Alex Lieberman. He's the CEO of morning brew. Oh yeah. Alex. I knew we had somebody there at at morning brew there. Okay. So we had Alex Lieberman. Yeah. Yeah. But he, you know, he was very smart too. It was right as they were in the midst of that. um, It was right in the midst when they were in the midst of that deal and he couldn't confirm to us if they sold or not, but obviously they, they did. They did the next week that story came through. You know what too? Allison at fast, we had her on last Wednesday. She didn't tell us that they had 102 $102 million deal in the oven, but uh, very proud, very happy no. for them. She probably couldn't. No, yeah. It's a good thing we didn't ask because it no. probably wouldn't have been a no comment. <laughs> you don't want to scrub a deal <laughs> like that on what the truck. I mean, I like this show, but you know, 102 million bucks is $102 million. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You're not going to. Yeah. This. Yeah. Well, somebody will, somebody will, we'll, we'll get some good, 
We'll get a good one. By the way, Greg Johnson, Greg <laughs> yeah. Johnson has a has a couple dogs. I got to talk to him about those dogs when he's on the show. We also have ambitions. Mark McWaters ambition we use right at Freight Waves ourselves. It's you know back in the day, back in the before the pandemic came, we used to have it attached to our big uh, our big broadcasting screen, right? And when anybody would make a sale, like yep. uh, a, a video, a meme video would go off, and uh, some music would just blast through. Uh, some people loved it. Some people hated it. Uh, I think the salespeople liked it. It came. It kept them motivated. Hey, well, you, you liked it unless you were on a on a phone call or in one of yeah. the close by conference rooms because they weren't very soundproof. <laughs> you know what? I, <laughs> and it would go off. So I was on team. I liked it because I, it got people pumped up. It was one of those things that just jars yeah. you out of your yeah. day. Reminds you you're at Freightways when you're at a startup. You're at a place everybody's got to row the Viking ship, and if you don't row, you fall overboard, right? Or you get or you got to walk the plank. So everybody's got to row. Everybody's got to be engaged. And if you're not engaged, and you don't want to be a part of it. Then go because we're all trying to move forward. So I like that it would snap people out of uh, out of their headspace. No, I loved it. And the gamification that you can use with it is unbelievable. Dividing that up into teams and different type of motivational things. I think it's a great, it's a great thing for, especially for, for sales teams, but it gets everybody pumped up, right? I mean, you see everybody who's working in the business, whether they're directly involved in sales are actually directly involved in sales, especially at a place like, like freight waves. And it's good for the data scientists, et cetera, to see these things come to fruition. They're working on it and see the celebration, right? Yep. We also got Ryan Mann from Lean, and uh, there's a whole bunch of other sessions, too. You can check out the full agenda and register for free, like all of our virtual events, at live.freightwaves.com. That kicks off at 9 a.m. tomorrow after the show. I'll start getting ready for that one. If you guys want the What the Truck newsletter, that came out yesterday at 6 p.m. It's also posted on FreightWaves.com if you want to look for it there. You didn't sign up yet, but please do. Go to FreightWaves.com slash WTT. In this week's issue, you're going to find uh, a little talk about the spot market. We break down what's going on with uh, GameStop stocks and how that whole shorting market works, and also if a freight tech stock may be next. Also, Michael Vincent, remember like a decade ago, Somali Pirates? Huge, huge, big deal? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And then you didn't yeah. hear about him for a while. Well, now in Ni- oh. all the Gulf of uh, Nigeria, it's it's becoming a big hotbed again. And these ones, these ones are even worse than the Somali pilots because the Somali pilots they would take the Vestal hostage and ransom it. With the Nigerian pirates, a lot scarier because they take the crews hostage, take them off the boat, and take them to some unknown location. They killed one of these crew members over the weekend when they breached the the citadel. The citadel is a safe spot, so we break down that story a little bit and what's going on with. Uh, with piracy, but man, seafarers, they have a really tough life at sea and at the docks. We've talked about all those COVID cases at the port, but there's also a lot of seafarers stuck out at sea, been stuck out at sea for over a year because of COVID restrictions. They can't even get off the boat. And if you've been on one of those boats, I mean, it's not a place you want to spend too, too much time on. Yeah, not especially two years. I mean, maybe on a, well, even on a cruise ship, two years would be a long time to be stuck on it. These are no cruise ships, my friend. I don't know if you've driven, you've, you've traveled on one. I, I have. They're not, they're not, it's not all that luxurious. Uh, and it, you're right. You're stuck on it forever and then COVID and then now you got Nigerians uh, uh, kidnapping you and killing you. Not, not so cool. I'm going to have That's Kevin. Cool. I'm going to have Kevin Hill kidnapped by a Nigerian. He just said you forgot the show's name already. I got put that coffee down, Kevin Hill. You know, my tongue got stuck to the roof of my yeah. mouth. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I got a question for you. Where do I learn about toilets and trucks? Is oh. there some place I can tune in and learn about that? This is a character. This guy, Brad Beebe, is going to be on on Friday, our Friday show. He thinks that there should be toilets in every truck. In every single truck, he wants a toilet there. Um, I've been on some of those Fungwa buses where they had like a toilet in the back. And one time I had to sit next to one and um, it wasn't Ooh, pleasant. So it wasn't pleasant. But maybe smelling your own brand wouldn't be as bad. If you, I don't know. But Randy Hudson will also be there. The freight broker coach, Ryan Pamplin. Yo. 
That's a <laughs> Director of Innovation Technology at Tamian and Hope White, CEO at HD White Logistics. Find me on the Twitter at Timothy Dooner. Find him at Vincent the Dude. See ya. Friday, it's here at the Sales and Market Summit. <laughs>